History was made today in the MLB, that, and it will go down as one of the most influential hirings of all time in sports. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms, as well as midtownradio.ca, weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to Episode 29 of On The Rise Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. Kim Ng was named the general manager of the Miami Marlins. She will become the first female and Asian American uh, GM in all of pro sports, really uh, leading the way for uh, women in the field of sports everywhere. Uh, crazy, crazy influential signing. She has all the credentials to back it up. She started out as an intern over 30 years ago. I don't know what team she was with as an intern, but she got into the field then. Uh, worked her way all the way uh, all the way up to being an assistant GM with the New York Yankees and LA Dodgers, racking up three World Series rings during that time. I mean, playing, being the G- assistant GM for teams such as the Yankees and Dodgers—that's yeah. high enough high enough uh, recognition on its own. Let alone the three World Series titles that would bring along with that. Um, so, just overall, how amazing of a hire is this by? owner Derek Jeter who now has obviously him owning the Miami Marlins uh, now uh, f- and a full female executive staff pretty much in uh, Kim being the new general manager of the team as well as their assistant GM who I believe is also female but I do not know her name uh, but yeah it's just an amazing signing. 100% it's it's a great day for sports and it's a great uh, forward step a great step forward for the advancement of women in sports over the past, over the past 10 years, we've seen many women take different roles into sports uh, from Becky Hamilton with the Spurs to yes. uh, female referees to, you know, female GMs in baseball. And it's becoming apparent as well that uh, females are starting to make their stride into sports. And it's great to see. It's, it's yeah. great to see as an advancement. It's, it, it's, it's a big thing. And as well, like it's not just a big thing as an achievement, but as well, she it's well-deserved, you know? It's not like yeah. it's not like he he did this out of like oh I need to hire a woman no he picked the right woman who has the experience who has the knowledge who has the passion and she's gonna work out great for them and I wish her the best yeah. of all the success yeah. for the Miami Marlins because oh, they're gonna 100%. need it they're 100%. gonna need it for sure but um it's exciting if, for sure if if anybody can do it she can in my opinion 100%. and I mean with the young young future uh, of this team with an owner like Derek Jeter. Like that is going to be uh, such an incredible franchise to watch over the next few years. And one of the most interesting things I saw from this was um, I was watching uh, some Sportsnet clips here and there and Hazel May, an incredible, uh, uh, an incredible reporter for Sportsnet who I personally love. Um, she had an interview to just, uh, just at the start of the pandemic with Kim and asked her actually what it would take um to like have a g a female gm in the world of sports um with obviously kim was gonna was uh presumed to be gonna uh eventually the first one uh, at that time there was talk of maybe some other people but she was the most prominent figure to uh prominent candidate sorry um to be the gm at that time and she flat out said it would take a uh non-gender biased uh owner and i think that perfectly fits the classiness and uh fit of Derek Jeter Derek Jeter has always been a really classy guy he's been 
uh, incredible for the community, especially, I mean, he was an incredible play, uh, person and player when he was with uh, the Yankees, but a lot of, uh, a lot of people know him around the community for just being really charitable, really, really nice uh, to everyone he met. And I think that just shows how much of a class act he is um, not taking anything away from the achievements of Kim, obviously, but um, to even want to take this step forward in uh, women in sports, it's just incredible to see. Um, and it would it would have to be a guy like Derek Jeter who is more modernized because it wasn't going to be some of the older owners that are all gray and old. Uh, it was going to be a new, m more modern one, and it was going to be a guy like Derek Jeter. And it's just incredible to see the signing. It's incredible for all of sports, not only uh, not only the MLB. I, actually, I saw the closest I think we've ever seen to having a pro sport uh, or like this high a level uh, female GM. I think I saw something that was saying like a CFL team back in like the sixties or something like that had a female GM at one point, but she didn't last as long as she hoped, I think. And frankly, as much as we love the CFL uh, in Canada, it's not anywhere close to the level of NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. And for this to kind of break, this is, this is huge. This is huge for all of sports and uh, congrats to Kim, obviously. And I think this will be, this will be a sign of things to come, man. I think uh, we already saw it with, uh, like you said, uh, uh, in the NBA with coaches, uh, assistant coaches, referees, and we've seen it a lot uh, throughout sports. But this is really a major, major step, and I think it's gonna, uh, it's gonna inspire so many young women to go out there and get into the uh, field of sports, and it, it's gonna be exciting to see um, that wave come, come up over the next few, uh, next few generations. As well, um, another quick thing I also wanted to mention while we're on the topic of MLB, uh, kind of hot out of the oven. It's just kind of a funny story. I didn't want to put it as a full segment, but. Uh, Sam, I do you remember Blue Jays pitcher Ryan Tapera? He was a bullpen with the uh, pitcher with the team for a bit and left the team. Left the team two years ago, I think. Is now now playing for the Chicago Cubs. But uh, may I don't I don't know. I don't follow too much baseball, so I'm gonna I'm gonna probably say no. Like maybe if I saw a picture, I might remember. But regardless, fair. speak on. <laughs> yeah. So as as we all know, uh, the MVP trophy was handed out over the past uh, over the past few weeks for the AL and, uh, over the past few days. Sorry uh, for the AL and NL. We yep, correctly Freddie predicted. Yep. That I think Freddie everyone. Freeman I think most. I think most people are going to pick Freddie Freeman. But yeah, most we still feel good that we picked it. Yeah, still that feel we good. Picked, yeah, we still feel good. Um, but so with the voting, they obviously release everything that uh, comes out. Like, uh, I mean, they don't say who voted who but they released the stats and stuff like that and uh ryan tapera uh, a bullpen pitcher who for the jays was mid-tier wasn't an outstanding player uh got a fifth place vote for mvp now he so he, fi he so he finished tied for like 18th or something like that on the voting ballot but what's funny about that was is a st louis writer of course it had to be st louis because that's chicago st louis rivalry is hilarious um a st louis writer came forward and said yeah actually I didn't mean to vote for you it was entirely a misclick on his ballot he didn't mean to vote for Ryan Tapera he meant to put Trey Turner and so Ryan Tapera got an MVP vote and is now was now tied for 18th in NLV, um, NL MVP voting even <laughs> though he's a mid-tier bullpen guy and he, since <laughs> when is a bullpen that's, player yeah, ever that's bullpen pitcher ever been in an MVP conversation so I just found that that's, funny that's that's very interesting so yeah and it was just it was all a misclick and now like I saw a bunch of things on Twitter 
um, on uh, Ryan's Paris Twitter uh, and specific of people just commenting like, hey, now whenever you do an autograph, you have to put MV- MVP finalist Ryan Tapera. Like, because you have to milk that dry at that point, right? Like, you you are a bullpen pitcher who has not been famous really over his career, and you just got voted for ML, uh, MLB MVP. And uh, I actually saw on BaseballReference.com, they because they they do all the voting for M- uh, MVP. If you even get a vote, they include you on there. So now, beside his name for that season, he, uh, he has tied for 18th in MVP voting uh, <laughs> on his resume and. Hey man, if 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 uh, there was also a bunch of comments saying like, uh, was MVP voting an incentive on your contract? Because if so, then you just got like, imagine if that was a thing. It's like <laughs> yeah. if you got an MVP vote, he would get a huge bonus or something yeah, like that, and like an extra ten grand or something like that. Like for every MVP vote you get, well, and now like two hundred dollars or something like that. He, he can go into next contract negotiation and say, hey, look. Uh, I got voted as an MVP candidate, so I think that deserves a little bit more money on my. <laughs> yeah, he, he just puts that on his resume as like he's <laughs> like so. Uh, like, let's say, for example, he like he retires in five years, like he's working at like some like Best Buy or something or whatever, and then he's like, "So, Mr. Tapera, what uh, do you have any like special skills or notable students? Yeah, I was a in two thousand wow. <laughs> in two thousand twenty. I was a ML, NL uh, MVP finalist." It's like, oh, interesting. Who won that year? Oh, Freddie Freeman. Oh, I remember that. Were you even close? No, tied 18. But still a finalist. But, one and fifth it's just, place vote. <laughs> and yeah, one fifth. Accidents. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. I, just, I, I loved that story from this No, week yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Anyways, that wraps up this segment of How Did the Evan regarding the historic signing of Kim Ng as the new GM of the Miami Marlins. And a little weird and wacky. Uh, regarding Ryan Tapera getting an MVP vote on a pure misclick. Moving on into our next segment of the day, NFL Week 10 preview, looking at this Sunday's games. Uh, we have the Bills versus Cardinals starting off here. The Bills defense versus the Cards offense is really going to be the big story of this game, of uh, how well Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, who still shouldn't have moved on from the Texans. Uh, and I don't think, I don't know if he wanted to move on from the Texans. That was just a horrible trade and can't say that enough. Um, but who, who winning, who's winning this game, Sam? Uh, and uh, can the Bills contain DeAndre Hopkins? And what kind of a matchup will it look like of Hopkins versus Diggs in this game? Because it's going to be, it's going to be a really fun game, I think. It's really interesting because when you look at the game, both teams that played, Obviously, uh, one team won and one team lost. Like, the Bills beat the Seahawks, and the Cardinals lost to the Miami Dolphins. They lost, I believe, 34-31, a close game. Uh, Kyler Murray had an outstanding game, and so did Josh Allen last week. So this really is also going to be a battle of the quarterbacks as well, as much as it's Bills defense and Cards offense. But as much as recently, with the play of Josh Allen, Josh Allen has been up and down this past season. He's recently got a little hot streak, and I think he will be able to find some movement against the – uh, Cardinals defense, because if you think about it, the Seahawks did a pretty good job against them, against the Cardinals, putting up 30, I believe, 31 points uh, against the Cardinals when they played just a few weeks ago, and the Bills put up 44 against the Seahawks defense. I'm granted two different defenses, but regardless, um, very similar in the nature of giving up a lot of points. So I think Josh Allen's going to have a big day. I think it's going to come, it's going to be a shootout in, I think the Bills can contain, it's going to be hard to contain Hopkins, but I do think that they can contain him, because if you look what they did with um, Tyler Lockett, what they did with DK Metcalf, they didn't really have big games. They didn't have, they weren't able to um, fully, like, you know, take advantage of the, I totally 
did not take advantage, but totally mismatch and everything like that. I think the Bills can contain Hopkins, and I think that's going to be an interesting storyline. In the matchup of Hopkins versus Diggs, I think Diggs is going to win this one. Diggs has been playing really good. He's going to have an easy way against the Cardinals secondary. Yeah, you know, you got a guy like Patrick Peterson, and he's probably going to be on him for a majority of the game. Like, well, I'd say all the game, unless he's going to get switched off on a pick play or anything like that, which is going to be highly uh, – probably not going to happen but I do think that Hopkins I uh, said that Diggs is going to win this matchup versus Hopkins and I think that I got the I got the Bills winning this one actually the Bills are going to take this one on the road um I, I like their offense their defense yeah is a bit streaky you know they gave them 34 points at Seahawks and I think it's going to come down it's going to be a shootout this is not going to be a defensive game it's going to be high scoring uh fair and uh but I got the Bills winning I don't know let's say like uh I, I want to say probably like 40 Maybe like 40 to 35 or 40 to 30. Like it's going to be a high scoring game for sure. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think uh, it is going to be interesting to see the matchup versus the Bills defense versus the Cards offense. I think um, if you look at the play of the Bills last week against the Seahawks, yes, they did give up a bunch of points, but that Bills defense still get did get some good stops here and there. And uh, I mean, obviously the Seahawks have such a high powered offense. It was tough to stop, but I think for what it's worth, I think the Bills defense did hold its own as like, it, it, it didn't break down. It let in a bunch of points. Yes, but they didn't break down. And I think that was a solid sign of like, okay, the Bills defense while inconsistent, maybe looking things up. I don't know really, but um, like I said, early, uh, last episode, I have gotten a bit more confidence uh, in uh, the Bills. And I think uh, going into this game versus the Cardinals, personally, like the, as far as matchups go, um, like Josh Allen versus Kyler Murray, I would rather have Kyler Murray on my team, to be quite honest with you. I still am not 100% faithful in uh, Josh Allen. But if, I, if we're talking about the matchup Hopkins versus Diggs, I would, ha- I would rather have Diggs right now, man. Diggs has been playing outstanding uh, so far this year. And, I mean, Hopkins, I, I feel like he's still trying to fit into this Cardinals system. And, frankly, I still don't think he belongs in this Cardinals system uh, uh, because, I mean – he was with the Texans for so long and he was playing super well with the Texans and he still is doing really well with the Cardinals uh, right now, but Diggs has had an outstanding season so far. Uh, and I think um, if I think as far as that matchup goes, I do think I would rather have Diggs, and I think he's going to have a better game against the Cardinals, but uh, overall it's going to be tough for the bills to contain uh, Deandre Hopkins. I, I think their defense has the potential to be able to step up and kind of, hopefully uh, stop him because I do think the Bills are going to win this game. Uh, but it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough matchup. It's going to be a high scoring affair. Like you said, uh, I do agree that the Bills are going to win this game and it's, you said 40, 35. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 42, 39. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a close game. It's gonna be a high scoring affair. Uh, I mean, it's all gonna come down to like how, how consistent can the Cards' offense be against the inconsistent uh, Bills' defense? And if the Bills have a game like they did last week against the Seahawks, where like I said, uh, like I said before, they did give up a lot of points, but they still got stops when they needed to. Um, although they almost did let them come back in the game, but that's besides the point. Uh, I do think the Bills' defense will prevail in this one against the card, uh, Cards' offense. Uh, Josh Allen is going to have to ha- have to have a good game for them to have any shot in this game. Uh, as long as their defense doesn't uh, uh, doesn't break, as long as they bend don't break, then I think they're going to have a good chance of winning this game. 
and I'm going to stick with my thing of 42-39 for the Bills in this one. Yeah, I would definitely agree. All right, our second matchup of the day is the your Seattle Seahawks versus the L.A. Rams. Now, the Seahawks have not looked great so uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Sam, do you think the Seahawks can bounce back, and do you think Russell Wilson can bounce back in this game? Because that's going to be two major, uh, major storylines going forward, is how well the Seahawks can kind of pick themselves up after a few really struggling weeks. Yeah, like when you look at the past – Three weeks, uh, you're one and two. The only team you beat was a basically a practice squad 49ers. You lost to the a very yep. good Cardinals team. You lost to the Bills team. You lost to the Bills. Uh, Russell Wilson turned the ball three times. He had two interceptions, one one fumble. Um, he did not look good. Even in, in as well, when you look at these two losses that they've had now um, against the Cardinals and against the Bills, Russell Wilson turns to the ball. So here's the key. Russell Wilson doesn't turn over the ball. They win the game. He turns to the ball at least probably one or more times. They're probably going to lose. It's it's the simple fact of it. If if Jared Goff turns to the ball one or more times on Sunday, they're probably going to lose. Unless the Seahawks defense just miraculously just gives up a bunch of points and still like regardless, like Russell Wilson had a decent game. He had two interceptions, two touchdowns. Like no, so not a decent game, but not as bad as like you know a game like Tom Brady where he had no touchdowns and three interceptions. So regardless. I think the Seahawks can bounce back. They usually, they kind of, after a tough loss like this, they're going to be, they're going to wake up and say, we have to be better. If we want to go to the Super Bowl, if we want to win the NFC, we have to be better. We have to be able to team, beat a team like the Bills with, you know, a decent defense and a high-powered offense. If we can't do that, we're not going to the Super Bowl. So they're going to bounce back. The Rams also haven't looked that good either, honestly. So I think the Seahawks can catch one against the Rams here. Uh, yeah. But they've got to be, they've got to be, they've got to be on point. Russell Wilson's got to be on point. I think he is going to bounce back because if you look at, the current streak of pattern is it's like, so bad game, good game, bad game, good game. And then next week, he's probably going to have a bad game against the Cardinals. He could have a good game, but most likely he could have a bad game again. Now, granted as well, they're playing on Thursday night at home in Seattle. That's a different aspect. But regardless, I think that's kind of the trend of where Russell Wilson is going. He's becoming sort of a streaky back and forth quarterback, which isn't good because, you know, for an MVP candidate, you want to be consistently good. And so far the past three weeks, he's been up and down, up and down, up and down. So I think that's kind of where I was going to say, does that, sorry, I was just going to say, like, does that like kind of lessen his chances of getting MVP so far this season? Because there was talks a lot of that early on in the season, but uh, with his inconsistencies these past few, it's kind of hard. I think it's, it's hurting his, it's hurting, it's hurting him considering what Patrick Mahomes is doing, considering what um, Aaron, like Aaron Rodgers also, he's had, he's had his down weeks as well. He's had his inconsistency, right? But I think right now the front runner is – and I did say Russell Wilson earlier, but right now if you look at it, Patrick Mahomes has been consistent. Yeah, you can say he's got all these weapons, you know, and he's got a great – but if you look at – Russell Wilson's got great weapons. The Chiefs defense isn't – like no one's talking about the – the Chiefs defense gives up a lot of points. They do. So the difference is Patrick Mahomes is able to utilize those weapons and is staying more consistent with that. He's not turning over the ball. He's playing, he's playing a little bit smarter despite being a – like it, you could say a less inexperienced quarterback compared to Russell Wilson, but he's playing better and rightfully so. I think he, he is leading the MVP. Russell's still close, but he's got to pick up his act and he's got to stay more consistent. These next two games against the Rams and the Cardinals are going to be big for the Seattle's uh, chances a uh, division as well, because these are two big divisional opponents, um, but as well as the NFC. But I do think that they will bounce back. Russell will bounce back. Seahawks will bounce back. They're going to have a good game. Jared Goff's going to struggle. Um, I don't think the Rams can beat the Seahawks this week. I, 
I will I will echo your uh, statements. I do think uh, Russell Wilson will bounce back. I do think the Seahawks will bounce back after um, having a not so great performance last week. Uh, and I think they have to they have to bounce back. This is a this, in my mind. If I'm the Seahawks, I'm going into this game thinking this is a must win game. This is a weak divisional opponent, like you said. Uh, and as well, next week is going to be a must win game because these are two teams that are mid tier, like borderline playoff teams. And you have to beat those teams if you want to be good and yeah, and win your division, and especially this uh, getting to the second half of the season and with the way the Seahawks have played, these are going to be must-win games these next two weeks. And I think the Seahawks, I think, will be able to take this one over the Rams because I haven't really loved the play of the Rams so far this season. I think um, Jared Goff, he's such an interesting story, man. Jared Goff, he has never, he hasn't really looked the same ever since I went to the Super Bowl. Eh? Like he's been so. Yeah, I, w- I would know, say man. so. He's been he's been up and down and inconsistent. And I think as well, when you look at that, uh, when you look at the Rams and stuff, and it's like you look at the game versus the Dolphins, and the Dolphins' defense is, is pretty good compared to the Seahawks. But I think that if the Seahawks – the Seahawks' defense has looked better. Like, last week they had seven – they had seven sacks on Josh Allen. Um, they didn't force any turnovers, but seven sacks can make a difference. And I think if they made a little bit more difference and Russell Wilson didn't turn over the ball two times and didn't have the fumble, it would be a different game, I think. But regardless, okay. I think that um, – I think, yeah, it's, it's good. It's interesting. The Jared Goff is an interesting, interesting story for sure. They haven't looked like – yeah, as well, they haven't looked like the same team since they went to the Super Bowl and they lost. They only put up three points. Many people were surprised by that as well. That was heavily favored due to the Patriots. But um, regardless, uh, yeah, it's, it's a must-win game for the Seahawks, I think. They've they got to win these yeah. next two games because they're big divisional games. Um, and then if you look at it as well, okay, one point that I was, that was trying to remember, now I remembered it. Uh, the Seahawks actually have the easiest schedule remaining. It's point, their, their opponent win really? percentage is, yeah, it's number one in the league because they got the easiest schedule. You know, they had some tough runs. They, yeah, so it's 396. So if you have the easiest schedule in the NFL compared to some other teams, they, they like, these are, like, after these next two weeks, I can't, I'm trying to see if I can just pull up the Seahawks schedule real quickly here. Uh, let's see. Uh, do 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 Who do they got? Yeah, they they've got an easy schedule. They got so they got this Rams and C, the Rams and Cardinals. Then they got the Eagles, Giants, Jets, Washington, Rams, and 49ers. Those four weeks right there, you got those three of those teams are in the NFC. East. Those are all win. Those are all winnable games. Those all are of them easily are winnable games. If you lose one of those, yeah. Okay, if they if they lose to the Jets, if they lose to the Jets, it's over. It's over, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am waiting. I cannot wait for the Sam rant when the Seahawks lose to the Jets. Hey, no, I it's cannot, not gonna happen. I, I, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. I'm, I'm not gonna let it happen. Jets that it, <laughs> yeah, you take the Jets that week. Picking you take the Jets. Jets that you take that Jets week. So the Seahawks will somehow lose the Kato. But if you look at their schedule. Let's say, for example, okay, let's say they beat the Rams, they lose the Cardinals. You know, they, they, they lose the – or they, let's say they win the Cardinals. If they, if they go – if they beat the Rams and Cardinals, they've got at least another they – don't, they don't play the Rams until week uh, 16 and then the 49ers last game of the season, which is going to be – it's going to be a close game. But those are two – the Seahawks could easily – like, not saying it's going to happen, but let's say, for example, even at best, right now they're 6-2. and two. If they lose the next two weeks, they could win the next six weeks and go twelve and four. They could go twelve and four and yep. still win the division. Yep. But then that also means that they've also lost to they've also lost the Cardinals twice, which is key. They've also lost the Rams once. But regardless, uh, it's interesting for sure. Um, it's it's interesting schedule, and I think the Seahawks. It's their division to lose. It's their division to lose if you look at it. 
because yeah. they have the easiest schedule. Yeah. They got the games in front of them. They just got to win them. If they don't win them, it's going to be tough. But uh, that's kind of my take to wrap up this segment of NFL Week 10. Yeah. If, I, if, if the Jets win against the Seahawks, I mean, I picked the Jets to beat the Patriots last week. That was cl- it was close, close. Man. It was close. I cannot wait. I'm honestly tempted to just pick the Jets the rest of the way for the season. If the Jets beat the Seahawks, the Seahawks should disenfranchise. They should just remove. If you lose to the <laughs> O, no, like, think about that. That is in, that's in week, what is that? That's week 10, 11, 12, 13. That's the O and 13 Jets, and you're going to lose to them. <laughs> they, they should disenfranchise. They should oh. no longer be allowed to be an NHL. Russell fr- Wilson an, an cannot NFL be an MVP if that happens. Yeah, Russell Wilson, if they lose, they lose the Jets. They lose the Jets. It's like, uh, eh, come on, man. It's not going to happen. Waiting. It's not going to happen. Waiting. It would be oh, a Christmas man. miracle. It would be a Christmas miracle because that's around Hold Christmas on. time, close to Christmas time. It's December 13th is when they play. So, I uh, want to see the Jets <laughs> schedule real quick. I want to see who they play. I want to see who they can beat. Hold on. So they play as – they played the Chargers this week. Okay, the yep. Chargers, I mean, who knows? They might, they might lose a heartbreaker again. We'll see. Um <laughs> Okay, the, the, the Dolphins, Dolphins should. Honestly, I've been loving the Dolphins so far, and yeah, they're five and three. They're yeah, they're so five. I'm and taking three, the Dolphins close, in yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders. Honestly, I'm taking the Jets for the fun of it because I'm not. Wait, a big wait, fan wait, of hold on, hold on. They play the Seahawks though. They play the Seahawks. What about that game? What about that game? <laughs> they play <laughs> the Rams, sad. or they play the Browns, or they play the Patriots. They could beat the Patriots. Okay, I'm taking them the against year. the Patriots. I'm taking yeah. them against the Patriots. I'm taking them against the Browns. I don't care. The Rams, that's a toss-up. It depends on injuries at that point. Um, now, that, that Seahawks game, though, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's a nail-biter. Really, it's a nail-biter for sure. <laughs> I really want to take the Jets, but I might take the Seahawks. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm desperate for wins, I'll take the Seahawks. Yeah, like if by, if by week not, 13, yeah, you're like, ah, no. I'm, like, I'm taking the Jets. <laughs> that's, that's for I sure. will willingly take the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an exciting game that week. It's going to be a nail-biter. It's going to be the greatest oh my game God. ever. If Russell Wilson has ever, a terrible yeah. game, oh, no. Anyways. I don't know. Let's Okay, actually, well, before we go, let's think about this. Okay, let's if, – if we follow the pattern, he's going to have a good game. <laughs> the, if we okay. follow the pattern. He has a good game against – if he gets a good game against the Rams, bad game against Cardinals, good game against Eagles, bad game against Giants, they still win. Good game against Jets. Oh, it doesn't line up. They, it's supposed oh, to, he's set to have a good game a good against game. the Jets. Never but mind. if he has a bad game against the Rams – then he could – It's okay, so if he has a bad game this week, it reverses the schedule, and then he technically would have a bad game for the Jets. So if we Ooh. need the Rams if, – if you're a Jets fan, you technically want the Rams to have a good game and beat Russell Wilson. But anyways, regardless, enough, enough uh, nonsense and blasphemy coming out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, offseason, we are calling this our Houston has a problem edition because there is a lot to talk about with the Houston yep. Rockets. Uh, number one, first and foremost, the hottest news of the week, Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. Now, he originally, when he joined with James Harden, there was lots of questions about whether this duo would really work. Two real type A personality guys with a lot of stat padding in there uh, and seems really hasn't worked out. Uh, it looks like uh, as far as who he might be looking at getting traded to, it looks like the Knicks. Yes, yeah. the New York yes. Knicks still exist, ladies and gentlemen. They are projected as front runners right now. Sam, where do you think he might be traded, and what is the likelihood that it is the New York Knicks? It's really tough because when you look at Russell Westbrook and the career that he's had, you know he's 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 been he's a 
he's a stat batter. You know, he, I think he really values the, the chance of getting triple doubles and double doubles um, more than winning championships. If he really cared about winning and winning championships, he would care about being the best player that he can be for his team. And I think as much as people, oh, it's stat padding. Yeah, okay, well, if, even if it is stat padding, then it's something that you don't want to do if you're trying to win in championships. Great players know when to step up and know when, when they allow other players to step up. So I think, and he just doesn't, I think they only have that. I think with the Knicks, he kind of can be, um, it's the right fit for him because he can be the leader of the team. He can be the main guy on that team. He can be the, the sole the main alpha dog on that team. And I think it, it would be good. Um, and I think as well, because the Knicks really, you know, they don't value winning that much, clearly. <laughs> so I think maybe yeah. that might be a good fit for them because Russ Westbrook yeah. can just go stat pad all he wants and he can be there. But then again, what did the Knicks give up to get Russ Westbrook? Because Russ Westbrook still is a great basketball player, regardless of what people may say. Yeah. He, he can drop it. He can drop 40 on your team when he wants to. Um, he's had good game against the Raptors. He's had good game against many other teams, and it's proven to stay. Uh, but regardless of that, I still think that, you know, possibly the Knicks could be a front runner. Front runner. Um, I don't know where else he might be – or sorry, where, where, else, where else he might be traded. Maybe if uh, Chris Paul leaves uh, OKC, he could, back, he could go back to OKC. Possibility – it's a very low possibility, but I don't think that you know, it might not happen. But because it seems that – Chris Paul, like, uh, you know, obviously this room is heavy, but I think that Chris Paul has got a good group in the OKC Thunder, and I think they're going to be exciting group to grow and stuff over the next few years. So I don't think he's going to go back to OKC. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's I think really he was kind of like tell. offended at how they treated him. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't think I really don't think he's going to go back. Uh, I'm trying to think of maybe other teams. Possibly, no, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's yeah. What what are your thoughts? Where do you think he might be traded? Yeah. Uh, as far as the Knicks are concerned, I mean, if he wants to go uh, and lose in the first round with the Knicks, that works too. I mean, yeah. he can be the top dog there. And I mean, hey, the Knicks will take it at this point. They, they, they're yeah. fine trying to get into the playoffs, at least. They, they'll take a first round exit. So he might be welcome there. Yeah. But like you said, I don't know what it would take to get him on that Houston Rockets team. That'd be really tough. Uh, for the Knicks, that probably a lot of their future would have to be given up, but that's not really what they want to do right now. So I don't know how that would work. Um, but really, three teams that I really think would fit a Russell Westbrook type of player is, <clears throat> honestly, I think uh, number one, the Detroit Pistons would really work. Yes, they do have Derrick Rose right now, um, but I think they could use a different uh, a different point guard that could be more suited to helping out uh, the the big man in Blake Griffin and uh, Stephen Ad- uh, not Stephen Adams, De- uh, Andre Drummond. I was thinking Stephen Adams because I was using that as an example of what he used to play with when he was yeah. with OKC, and that really worked out. Um, as far as other teams, I mean, I think the Chicago Bulls could be a really good fit. Imagine a combo of Westbrook and Levine with Laurie Markkinen and a couple of their younger uh, other younger players as a, a good combo uh, supporting cast. That'd be a really nice fit. And I think the Bulls are on the up and up. And I think that would really uh, fit there. And as well, a lot of the, there's a lot of rumors around this team right now, and they've just always been lacking one major piece in my opinion. And I think with all the rumors surrounding them right now and the status of Victor Oladipo, the Indiana Pacers could use a nice new point guard. I mean, uh, Oladipo is a more traditional shooting guard than a point guard. And I think that one, two combo would be really, it'd be interesting to see how it fit. 
and I mean, Oladipo actually shot down a lot of the rumors that he was kind of looking. Yeah, to trade there, there was some possibility of rumors, um, some fake news oh, out there that possibly wanted to go to Toronto. I was like, oh, that would actually be exciting. But then I was like, oh, there's also the Knicks. He, so. t- he said he was going to maybe ask to go to. There was a bunch of different teams he was asking. I mean, fake news. I, I saw, burner accounts. It's fake news. I, I saw this thing that was like, uh, imagine Victor Oladipo going up to Julius Randle and. Uh, uh, I can't remember who else they said, but uh, imagine just him going up and being like, "Hey, I really don't like it here, and I'll I'll take the Knicks at this point." Like, uh, so I don't <laughs> yeah, think no. that's even a thing. But no, I, don't, I, I mean, Indiana could use a nice new point guard. That that mm-hmm. that could work, and I think uh, those are kind of my three potentials. But I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think that a lot of teams could be a player out of a lot of the bottom teams who have a lot of cap space to use. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though. It's really going to be interesting because this is sort of an unprecedented thing, and it's been a while. Uh, I mean, you don't see it this often where we see big stars just openly just being like, you know what, get me out of here. And I think that's that's going to be interesting to see. And I think maybe we see not a willingness to, but we maybe see that eventually with a Ben Simmons. But regardless, moving on to our second thing, focusing more on James Harden now. James Harden has said that he is committed to staying, uh, despite what uh, Russell Westbrook has decided, committed to staying with the Rockets. But just in case they were looking to move on from him, he was like, "Okay, if if I'm gonna go, I'll go to either Miami, Philly, or the Brooklyn Nets as the only places he'd be move uh, be willing to move if he were to be dealt." But he can't, he really wants to stay in Houston. He wants to see things through. Um, and my question to you, Sam, is after. Um, a does he kind of like what team would he fit best without a Miami Philly in the Nets, and would he kind of fit in in Philly with an Embiid or a Simmons moving with uh, Daryl Morey to Philadelphia? And like after Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, all three major stars he at, at there at the time. Dwight Howard obviously not as good now, but he was in his prime then. Mm-hmm. Um, does it leave major questions about uh, the chemistry James Harden has and? With, with these stars, because clearly it's not been working out. Even Clint Capella can be thrown in there. It's, it's something's, something's off. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it's Harden or not, really. It's an interesting situation for sure. And I think one thing that I want to bring up that's comparable to that is it's similar to how LeBron James, kind of the way that he is, acts as a GM or acts as a Le, Le GM, as they call him. Because if you look at all the players that LeBron has played with, many of those players have left the teams. Kyrie Irving. Uh, well, most, no, I'm trying to say Kyrie Irving's the only one, but then again, he's also left a number of teams because he's unhappy for certain, like, why did he leave Miami and go back to Cleveland? Like he seemed perfectly happy there, you know, with Chris Bosh yeah. and Dwayne Wade, and they yeah. seemed to be all happy, but he left for some reason. No one knew that. Like no one really knew the reason why he wanted to go back to Cleveland to win a championship, all that, blah, 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 all that cover up. But what is the real reason? So I think that's a very similar situation, but I think to answer your question, no, he doesn't fit in Miami. Miami's got a perfectly Good squad the way they're there. They might need to add one or two more players, but they don't want a James Harden. They added James Harden there. He's like, uh, he's like the kid at the birthday party that just like comes up and like screws, like messes everything up. Just like throws it like a little, like fire, like he's the little fire starter. That's what he is. And it's not. And, it's, and, and Jimmy Butler's the birthday kid. And yeah, Jimmy Butler's the birthday Jimmy kid. Jimmy Butler is having a nice yeah. day. Yeah. And, and then James Harden comes in and Harden he says. And threw his cake on the floor. And yeah, that's, or, do, that's, or does that would, something. That yeah, never no. Hypothetical situation. Jimmy is the kid at a birthday party. He's got all his friends, Tyler Harrow, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. And then uh, Jamie Butler, James Harden comes, James Harden comes in, and he says, he just knows, nope, 
this is you know like he's one of those he's probably that kid at the birthday party my party that's, now <laughs> that, yeah that starts playing with the kids toys like do you know those kids that you like remember those parties yeah, where you yeah. have a friend over and he'd start yeah. playing with your toys and like bro my toys that's what james harden does that's what he that <laughs> i know it's weird it's weird, <laughs> weird that i'm saying that but regardless that's what Great that's analogy. why he doesn't fit in miami you know it's just because Miami's a complete team, and when you when you throw in a guy like James Harden, it, it it screws up the mix. Don't fix something that ain't broke. Yeah, they they lost to the Lakers, but the Lakers were a really good team. They had LeBron James and Andy Davis, so I think that's uh I think that's one thing as well. But I don't think either like it's close. Does he fit with a beater Simmons better? And I think honestly. I don't want to say this, but he might fit with Simmons better because Embiid is more of a hothead. Embiid is more of a guy that's going to cause Simmons. I think Simmons can keep his cool. Simmons can be the type of guy that can more control with Harden. Like, I don't know. We don't really know because you look at a guy like Chris Paul, like Dwight Howard and Russ Westbrook, they all see – Chris Paul seemed like a nice guy. Like he seemed like a quiet guy that, you know, wasn't really much of a fire – or much more of a – but, you know, you never really know. So I don't know if James Harden brings this within people and changes them. But I think, honestly, like, yeah, you know, you'd want to have that guard-center, like, you know, combo with Embiid, and I think that would be really good. But I think in the chemistry issues would be too much – for possibly Simmons to come in, or no, I'm sorry, for Harden to come in and mess it up either. So I think honestly he would fit better with Simmons. Um, and I think, oh, sorry, last point about the Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, and Russ Westbrook thing as well. I think that is, I think that kind of is a LeBron situation, sort of. So that's that's kind of my final yeah. point about that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think yeah, uh, I think your analogy of the kid at the birthday party. I think that works with both Miami and the Brooklyn Nets. I think that would be just it'd just be too oh yeah, much, I, I forgot think, yeah, I forgot about the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets as well. Yeah, it would be it would be too it's, much. It'd be very it, explosive. It yeah, there's no way that would that would work in that locker room. And I think uh, Philly, I think they would have to it would have to be a trade involving Embiid because I, I don't think those two would work. Like you said, they wouldn't gel. They wouldn't have chemistry. I think Simmons. I mean, you can you can have a guy like Simmons who is naturally a point guard, but uh, well, naturally a power forward just because of his height, but plays a ton of more a ton more point guard. You can have him being a more small forward type deal who just handles the ball a lot more and then have Harden as your main guard. And that works as you're like, now you don't have to have Simmons work on his shot as much. You just have a solid three-point shooting uh, uh, guard in James Harden. And now you have your guy who can get uh, do the dirty work down low and really play defense in Ben Simmons. That might be a really good combo to work with, uh, to work on. And I think Embiid would really fit well in Houston. I think that would kind of change the scenery might work well for him. Um, and I think Harden would be willing to go to Philly just because, I mean, obviously Daryl Morey is there. He seemed to like Daryl Morey and his style of play. That might be, uh, that might kind of work out. But as far as like with the teammates go, um, like stars like Dwight Howard in his prime, Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul didn't even seem like that hard-headed of a guy. Uh, and he seems really nice, but he seems like a, a bit opinion. He seems like he knows himself and he, he sticks up for himself. And I think we saw that with all the arguments we saw between them and in, uh, in the playoffs on the bench uh, between Harden and Paul. And I think Chris Paul uh, really likes to stand up. He thinks of himself as an undersized underdog, I think. And he sees uh, when he is challenged. Uh, by someone else and I think he was challenged by Harden and I think this is the problem this could be the problem with Harden is he either challenges you to and like pushes you to your limits uh, uh, to the point where you aren't happy anymore or he just is sort of a lackadaisical player who doesn't really care enough about the team because I mean there's lots of talk about like uh, like we're going to talk about in a second here throughout this season Russ and Harden seem to have like a bit of chemistry issues Harden uh, I think uh, I saw 
saw a report from Shams that was like uh, Russell Westbrook, after a loss to Portland, went into the locker room and started calling out a couple of players, saying what they needed to work on throughout the year. And Harden really did not accept uh, the constructive criticism well from Russell Westbrook and really didn't want to improve. And I wonder if that could be a thing with Harden. He may be like thick-skulled. He doesn't want to listen to other people. He just knows what he wants for himself. And I think, I think there's a clear issue with chemistry as far as teammates working with James Harden. And you even see, like, uh, moving on to, like, our kind of last thing, just because it wraps into my thing. Uh, it seems like the uh, Rockets last season, it's come out that a lot of players complain throughout the year. And you could argue, hey, that could be the babies of the NBA wanting their money more. But if you look at it, I mean, uh, Russ and Harden not, want it, uh, not wanting to play together clearly didn't work out. And uh, P.J. Tucker... Uh, was, quote, irate over his contract situation with the team, which is understandable considering he's like a 6'5 guard that had to guard seven-foot-tall centers that are 100 pounds heavier than him all season in their yeah. silly small ball lineup. That clearly didn't work out, so he deserves a pay raise. Uh, and it seemed like Eric Gordon, uh, Daniel House, and Austin Rivers all were kind of upset at their usage throughout the season. They felt they could contribute more, could, felt they could play more minutes, and they never played him. And I don't know if that's a tribute to – uh, the problem being Mike D'Antoni and the coaching style. Maybe it was Daryl Morey, but I think it could also have been Harden. It could be Harden saying, I, I want to hog all the minutes. And for guys like Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers, they're two guards, right? And if Harden's playing 48 minutes a game because he's telling people he has to play 48 minutes a game, then that doesn't leave much room for Eric Gordon or Austin Rivers. And I think that could be a real problem. And I think uh, so and like overall, the whole problem of Houston, I think it, it, if you look at all throughout the years that is James Harden has been there, I think he is problem X. I think he is the X factor. I think he is the odd man out there and the real outlier as far as what is the problem. And I think, um, I think it could be partially, partially personality and him wanting to be his own man, uh, playing all the minutes he wants to play when he wants to play them and not really changing. He wants to be himself. He wants to put up a bunch of points. He wants to just be hard, James Harden. But he doesn't look at it the way he, he should as far as winning championships. And I think that has been the problem with the Houston Rockets. You've seen so many years, the second round, third round, first round exits. And it's clear to me that James Harden is the X factor. And I think that is the problem. And I think he's going to have to, if they want to win a championship with the Houston Rockets, because he says he wants to stay with them, if he wants to win a championship with them, he has to move past his personality. He has to get real. He has to tick all the boxes because it can't be a one-man show. He has to learn to work with other people around him. And I think the GM is going to the new GM situation is going to help with that. The new coaching situation is going to help with that. But overall, the problem with Houston is James Harden, and if he doesn't change his ways, they will never win a championship with him on that team. I I hundred percent agree. I hundred percent agree with you. James Harden is so hard-headed. That honestly, if you look up hard-headed in the dictionary, it's a picture of James Harden. That's like that's what it is, honestly, because pretty much <laughs> he's so set on his views and his like in his play style, and like that's just who I am, and that's what Houston has to be. But it's not going to win you a championship if you and your point. You made a, uh, some great points as well that if if James Harden is playing forty plus minutes a game and taking forty plus shots, okay, when is Derek Gordon get a shot? When is Daniel House going to get a shot? When is Austin Rivers going to get a shot? When are they going to get used? Because James Harden is being the main guy. James Harden wants to be the star of a franchise that can't allow them to be, that that doesn't want to allow to be a star of a franchise because he isn't a player 
like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan. He isn't that type of player. I am sorry no. to say that. He's not at that he's not at the level to make that call. If LeBron LeBron James LeBron James said that, maybe that's different. LeBron James has had times when uh, but also he's been able to work with players. Yeah, he's had a few chemistry issues similar to Harden, but he's able to get past that and he's able to use his leadership ability, emphasis on leadership ability, to lead them to championships, to help them win championships. Now, granted, well, he's had some really good teams. He's played with some Hall of Fame players. But and he is an amazing player himself. And he's an amazing <laughs> player himself. But regardless, James Harden wants to win a championship. He needs to completely rewrite his rule book of what he considers to be a player in, like, in regards to how he plays and stuff. He needs to develop less – like he needs to take less shots. He needs to become more of a passer. He needs to be smarter with his shots. He needs to create higher percentage shots. If he wants to have a success rate where he's not dropping 40, he's dropping 30 – and he's getting 10 assists. He's dropping double. Like, you know, it might be 30 and 10 or 25 and 10, but he's allowing other players. Because one of the biggest problems that I've seen with Houston over the past number of years, and, you know, you see these crazy stat lines. Oh, James Harden dropped 50. Oh, James Harden dropped 45. Oh, he dropped, like, 60. 60. Whatever. Great, like, crazy stat line. But they lose the game. You know why he lose the game? Because he took, like, 100 shots, and he didn't allow any <laughs> of the players. And he hit, like, yep. 30 of them. And then he's like, okay, I guess I'm like, no, you have to allow other players to score. You have to have a word called offensive distribution. If you have offensive distribution on teams where one star can score a majority of their points, if you look at the 2018-2019 Raptors, Kawhi Leonard dominated that season in regards to points per game. But he had a great supporting cast, and he allowed them to score their points when they needed to. And that was the success to the Raptors 2019. Unselfish. Unselfish. And that's what James Harden needs to do. If James Harden is able to wake up and smell the roses and smell the coffee and get like, if he wants to stay in Houston and he wants to win, it's not going to happen based on the way that he's playing. That's for sure. He needs no to way. wake up, smell no the way. roses, smell the coffee, change how he's playing and become a better player. Because if you look at all these issues of Russ Harden, PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, all these players leaving, it's a reason because Harden is too hard, to, is too difficult to work with. He's difficult to work with and he's difficult to get along with to be creating the same. And I don't care what you say about Daryl Morty or Mike D'Antoni about how they could be possibly the problem. It's James Harden for sure. That's my take. It's got, it's it got a little heated there. It's his but, name. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to work with him. Yeah. <laughs> Harden yeah. is hard to work with. Yeah, it's James hard to work with Harden. Nice to meet you. Exactly. That's how it goes. That's exactly. how it goes. <laughs> All right, that wraps up our segment regarding the NBA offseason. Houston has a problem edition. That wraps up this episode of Season 2 of On The Rise Podcast. You should follow our Instagram, at Rise Podcast. Listen in on midtownradio.ca. Check out Jake and Liam's podcast, Tech Files. And visit our website, ontherisepodcast.ca. We will see you on Wednesday.